Hey folks, JR, back for another episode of Echoes of Shannon Street Case File. It's going to be episode 91, Clothing of the Seven. We're going to knock out these last two use of firearms forms just real quick. I'm going to blow through them, but of course, come back and look at them at your leisure. And then we're going to start looking at some of the paperwork involving the items that are going to be sent off to the Department of Safety, TBI, and the FBI. And that's going to do our episode for today. And then when we come back, we're going to follow that paperwork as it uh, goes to these outside agencies for review. Alright, that's all I can think of for right now. If you hadn't already though, you can hit that subscribe button. Put you in the drawing for a massive four slice toaster. Actually, I've got one. I don't have one to give away. I just said that as a cheap ploy to get subscribers. But anyways, if you don't have a four slice toaster, I recommend them highly. All right, let's go and get into this episode. All right, firearms use report. This is on Don Rutherford from the TAC unit. Basically saying the same information, providing the same information. Now, the thing that would be different on these is distance when engaging suspects. That may change a little bit. He's He's got first shot distance 12 to 15 feet. Uh, last shot fired distance 6 to 7 feet. Now, he fired, he's claiming 40 to 45 rounds. So that would tell you right there that he had one of the M16s. Even if he didn't cheat and look up there and see that he had an M16. Is Kind of the, uh, I guess you'd call that the middle, towards the middle of the page. You can see weapon description in M16. Other than that, I don't know if there's anything. Now, he's saying when he fired his, his cover that he was using was west wall of the kitchen. Other than that, I don't really see now down here at the bottom because it's one of the ones you look for at the bottom there on the left, the background were walls. Because if you were if you were reviewing this shooting, that'd be one of the first things you'd go down and look at because if you're trying to determine if Rutherford followed policy or not, you really don't care what kind of cover he took. What you're looking at is you want to see what his background was. All right, Lieutenant, you thought that would be easy to say. Lieutenant uh, Pugh did this one. Lieutenant Pugh, he, I think he retired as, I want to say, a major. Anyways, his son and I went through the academy together in 90. Anyways, he did the review as a supervisor, and he's got all the blocks checked, yes. That's what you're looking for, is he checking all the blocks, yes. If you ever see a block and it says no, then there better be a really good explanation on there on why there's a no on this part of the form. And you see the uh, the shooting report, Lieutenant Pugh's part of it was done February 13th. Looks like he's got the date wrong. It says 82. Uh, obviously, that should be 83. All right, this last, last firearms use report, that's going to be Bob Watson, Robert Watson. You know, he was first man in the door. 
really nice handwriting if he actually wrote this. You actually can read it. Yeah. And let me see here. He's protective cover interior of the house and gas. So he's talking about the gas providing um, concealment because that's what gas would be a concealment. When you hear of concealment or cover, cover is something of something that might absorb some rounds and prevent them from hitting you. And concealment's just something like, say, the gas. Or say you're hiding behind a bush, it conceals you, but it wouldn't, it would not be covered because it wouldn't protect you from rounds. Anyways, and the background used if the rounds had a mist inside of the house. And he ain't wrong. It's broad, but he ain't wrong. Okay, Lieutenant Maxey was a supervisor that reviewed Bob Watson's form. All the blocks are checked yes. That's that's the main thing. Because you really don't stop to read this unless you see a block that's checked no. But as you can see, most of the time, most of the time this is what the form does actually look like. You don't see a lot of writing. If you see a lot of writing on, on some of those, if those lines are all filled up and there's a, Secondary page, well, you know something. You better start looking close. Something went wrong. All right, inner office memo. This is to Sergeant Holly of Security Squad from D.W. Cooper, Criminal Intelligence Unit. D.W. Cooper, it sounds like he wants to go out to Seattle, Washington and hijack a plane and then parachute out the back with ransom money, but... Anyways, date January 25th, 1983. January 16, 1983, 9.30 a.m., the writer is instructed by Sergeant Holly to examine and photograph the clothing from the seven suspects from 2239 Shannon. Ryder examined and photographed these items in the drying room of the property and evidence section. But you've never heard that when you've watched one of these movies or TV shows, have you? When you've got bloody items, they have to dry out. In in real life, evidence bags, a lot of times you're putting them in, they're made of paper. They're actually just paper sacks with bloody items. Why? Because if you put them inside those clear plastic baggies and seal them up, the clothing or whatever the item is is not going to dry out. The blood will stay wet. We don't want that. Anyways, so next time you look at a movie and you see everything stuck in a stinking plastic bag, you know that they're wrong. All right, these items are listed. Property receipt, and there's the number. And, and uh, this is A1, suspect Larnell Sanders. All it's going to go through is it's going to break down the clothing that each of the seven suspects in the house had on them and you can see uh, four items for Larnell Sanders below that the jeans had blood on both lower legs the upper seam of the jeans right leg was torn right sock was bloody sweater had what appeared to be a bullet hole in the right front chest area and what appeared to be two bullet holes under the right shoulder blade area the jacket also had holes in 
these same areas both had blood in these areas. All right, the next one, next property receipt, that's going to be Michael Coleman. You can see the items he had. Let me go to the bottom of the description and tell you about the items. The shorts and belt had areas of blood. The shoes and socks had area of blood. The right shoe had a small hole on the inside with a larger hole on the outside. Right shoe was very bloody. The long sleeve undershirt had a hole in the rear of the right shoulder. The right sleeve was covered with blood. The jeans had two holes or tears, one inch apart near the knee of the front of the left leg. This area was bloody. The jacket was bloody and had a tear in the lining on the left side. The morgue charts did not indicate wounds to the foot or the leg. All right, next property receipt number. This is going to be on David Jordan, listing the clothing items he had on. Description on those. The clothing was bloody. There appeared to have been a wound above the left elbow, although the morgue charts did not indicate a wound there. Next property receipt. That's Cassell Harris. Description on the items listed for him, the outer clothing, jacket, jeans, and shoes all had areas of blood. And folks, what they're trying to do here, the reason they're, the reason they're doing all this is they're getting ready to submit these items to the state to check. And they want to make sure they know where all the blood is on all the items and what those items are because they're going to submit all this. Obviously, if you're submitting these items, this is evidence and that you are, you're going to give it over to someone else that's not your agency. So you have to make sure you know everything you're going to give them and if there's blood on the items, where it is and what items it is. If I didn't just confuse that worse. But anyways, all right. Earl Thomas, sweater had been torn, bloody areas on the left elbow, right rear shoulder area, left front middle chest area, and right front upper chest area. The pants had areas of blood. Next property receipt, that's going to be on Lindbergh Sanders. List all the items that he had. Now, if you notice, I didn't point this out, but if you see... Uh, the morgue number for each one of them, that's the number that was assigned to them uh, on the original scene before they were properly identified. As you can see, for instance, Lindbergh Sanders' morgue number is Foxtrot 6, F6. You'll remember that when we went through that episode. But then, of course, obviously they have their name as well. All right, so on Lindbergh Sanders, the jeans, sock, and underwear had some blood on them. The diaper, washcloth, and shoestring was bloody. They had been found on the left arm, apparently used as a bandage. So Lindbergh actually had a, he was using a diaper as part of a bandage for his arm and wrapped it up. The shirt had a hole in the left arm above the cuff and another in the cuff. This area was bloody. The right sleeve was bloody. All right. Property receipt number on uh, Andrew Houston. You see the items that he was wearing. The jeans had areas of blood. The shirt and jacket had what a 
appeared to be a bullet hole in the left rear, just above the waist. This area was very bloody. January 25th, 1983, the clothing of Thomas C. Smith, property receipt, lists all that, photographed in the security squad area. Clothing is listed. You see what those items are. Seam of the left leg near the crotch of the jeans was torn. There was also a small tear in the upper right-hand leg. The shirt was torn near the seam on the right sleeve at the shoulder. And this, what you're seeing here, all these items, you know it. Every one of these items is probably going to be sent off to the state because they're not going to go through and double-check all this unless they were getting ready to let it leave their custody because there's a there's a chain of custody and you have to make sure you follow it and if you had say the justice department investigators with the feds or say the shelby county the attorney general's office if and when they review this you what I would do if I was one of their investigators and I'm trying to figure out if the police department's trying to pull a fast one, I'm going to look and see what items were recovered initially on the scene in the paperwork, and then I'm going to compare it to what they're sending off or what they did send off. You want to see if that list is the same. You want to see if there's anything they're not sending off, or is there an item that was recovered initially and it's no longer a part of their official file because then you're going to start thinking there's something wrong if there's if they've left something out and you want to make sure the items come back you're going to look at that too see what got sent back to them and then continue to look because if something down the road comes up and all of a sudden there's not there's an item that's missing after the state checked it or the feds checked it well then you know you've got an issue all right, folks, that's going to do it for this episode. Next episode, we'll go over the other items that the police department's going to submit. Or actually, it, uh, next episode may actually be the actual submission of the items. There'll be one set of clothing and the other's weapons. They'll also do one about blood. And you'll also see a reference uh, probably in the next episode about gunshot residue. So you've got four different things that, that these other agencies are going to check for. So anybody that, that wants to imply the police department uh, is covering something up or they're not, it's obvious that if they're sending this stuff off for an agency to check. And gunshot residue would be one I would want to look at when it came back. Because if you've got gunshot residue on any of these suspects, well, we've got statements that would indicate there was nobody within range where you'd get, you would have gunshot residue, or, or let me say, a significant amount. Anything that would indicate it was a close contact wound, you know, less than three feet. Well, nobody's statement would would indicate that. So then you would know you got a problem. Somebody's not being truthful. But between the the ME's reports and then you send these items off to be tested, then you've done all you can do. 
and I'll give you a hint, it's all going to come back okay. There's not going to be any indications. Obviously, there's no indications anything went wrong or anything that is incorrect, or Shelby County would have indicted somebody. The federal government would have indicted somebody, and they didn't. But anyways, I hate to spoil the surprise. All right, folks, I do appreciate you. We will get back together here in a few days and continue on with this follow-up investigation. Till then, I'll see you down the road.